presented by The Hockey Shop. Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. This is episode 37 of In Goal Radio, the podcast. I'm your host, Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Today, we will chat to the trainer to the stars of NHL goaltending. Let me rephrase that. We're talking astronomy here. This guy has an entire constellation. Big Dipper, Orion, go down the list. But it's Anna Francilia who trains everybody during the summer and gets them ready for what is right now the start of the NHL regular season. Kevin Woodley with an extended conversation with Adam about what he goes through to train these gentlemen and just the intricacies of setting up somebody for the start of a long, grueling NHL regular season, making sure you still have something left for the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll also make our weekly trip out to Source for Sports Surrey, the hockey shop, for a piece of gear that's intriguing in the sense that it's not made anymore, but there's one NHL goaltender that went out of his way to make sure he got a piece of this, or maybe 10 pieces, and you can too. So, uh, Woody. We'll chat with Cam about that. So we bring in Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. And and Hutch, it's prediction time as we start this season. Vesna Trophy in 82 games will be awarded to dot, dot, dot. I don't know. I seem to always go off the board. We've done these at ingoalmag.com on the site each year. We don't have one up yet, Woody, but we're going to have to get one up. And I seem to get mocked every year by the writers as I put up my off-the-board pick. Uh, I like to just think I'm ahead of myself. I put Pekka Rene up one year, and y'all laughed at me. And then about a year later, he won the Vesna Trophy. So uh, I want to go off the board again. I mean, in my in my gut, if I had to bet my house on it, I would uh, say that Vasilevsky's going back-to-back because he's uh, with a strong team again. He's an outstanding young goaltender. And uh, we know that the GM's favor wins over everything else. However. Uh, since I like to go off the books a little bit, I'm going to look to uh, Corey Schneider in New Jersey. I think New Jersey's going to have a fantastic season. They made a lot of great changes heading into this year, so we might get support on the win side. And uh, and as I think it was Woody who retweeted, I don't know who it was fairly recently, uh, some of Schneid's um, stats since he came back from his hip injury. Uh, didn't he run like a 920, 921, something like that in the regular season? And a little bit better at the world championships and even better in the preseason. So uh, my dark horse is going to be Corey Schneider. What do you think, Woods? Uh, I've had a few questions about Corey Schneider in some of my other you know, weekly media duties. And it's funny. People seem to have forgotten that he's passed it. Like everything he did down the stretch. And obviously we had him on the podcast and he talked about how hard a journey that was, how his confidence had been challenged, but that he found all those things down the stretch last year. He was really good. He was the Corey Schneider of old. I think Mackenzie Blackwood's a great up-and-coming goaltender who will be a number one in the future. Corey's not giving that job away, and I'm with you. I think that I think Schneid's is going to have a really good year this year. Um, and all the people that didn't pay attention down the stretch last year will be surprised, but I don't think we will. As far as Vesna picks, um, this seems like a cop-out for me, uh, but I got to go with Carey Price. Because again, I keep seeing him fourth, fifth, sixth on most of the lists. And I know Vasilevsky is an easy pick, but to me, it's Price and Vasilevsky are the two best goaltenders in the world right now. I, I talked about it before. When you look at the proprietary numbers, when you look at advanced stats that truly measure shot quality, there was only one goalie in the NHL all of last season 
that saved more goals based on shot quality than Andre Vasilevsky. And that was Carey Price. And I'm now making it my mission to educate the general managers who unfortunately vote on this award um, that there is more than wins. And that uh, I think Carey's start last year kept him off it. He was the best goalie down the stretch in the league. And I think he'll keep that up throughout this season. If he stays healthy, I'm calling another Vesna trophy for Carey. And I, I couldn't agree with you, Woody, about how well he's going to do this year. Uh, and couldn't agree with you anymore. I think he will be the best goaltender in the NHL this year. Uh, but we were picking Vesna's, and I don't think you're going to be able to educate the GMs fast enough for him to get that win because I don't think Montreal is going to win enough games. How about just taking the state of Florida against the field with Andre Vasilevsky and Sergei Bobrovsky? Ooh, that's a good prop bet. <laughs> uh, yeah. You should be working. You should be working for like both. You're in Vegas though, Vegas. Darren. Look yeah, at this. Right. You are bang <laughs> on. Go hit that up and make sure somebody gets a prop bet up on that uh, down at one of the casinos or sports books because that's a hell of a bet. I'd like to see what the numbers are. And and actually, if there were numbers, I'd take I'd take that bet between the two of them. Like mm-hmm. Hutch said, Vasilevsky with the wins and that team as good as they're going to be. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think you get great odds actually. I think those two against the field, I'd take those two. The other name that uh, I had pop into my head and really has done a nice job. Uh, the back half of last year was outstanding and he was in the mix. Ben Bishop, uh, neither one of you mentioned him. And that's who I will take as, as my Vesna trophy winner. I, it's a good call. It's a good pick. Um, I always look at the gap between starter and backup and it's not always fair uh, because Anton Hudelman's a hell of a goalie. Uh, we saw it. And it didn't matter last year because Bishop was a finalist. Robin Lehner was a finalist. Yeah. But the gap between their starter... So to me, they're tied a little more to team play. And Dallas shuts it down as well as anyone in the league, as do the Islanders. And I think their goalies benefit from that. That's nothing against Bishop. Um, there's also... Games played doesn't matter as much as it is, but but injuries tend to be a part of his season on an annual basis. But for sure, maybe this is the year he finally goes from being a bridesmaid to being the bride. He's been a finalist many times. Certainly deserving of it. And yeah, you, you could be right there. What about some sleeper picks this year? Because you mentioned off the top, Darren, Henrik Lundqvist to me is a guy who got absolutely dismissed, overlooked, and frankly at times trashed by the sort of general national media for the way his season ended last year. But he was a guy when I watched him for the first two months, I think he ran 920 for the first two months. Well, he really that surprised he- me because I wasn't sure how he was going to be able to handle being on a subpar hockey team and, and he kept it he, he kept them in the mix and and competed and as long as they were in the mix and he was able to maintain that edge he was the Henrik Lundqvist of old he plays he calls it Henrik's talked to us about this he calls it a relaxed intensity but make no mistake you've talked to goalies we've talked to goalies who are his backup who have been around him the intensity is there and a big part of his success more than the relaxed um, he plays on the edge he needs to. And when everybody else around you loses their edge, cause your team basically tosses a white towel into the ring two and a half, three months into the season. Like to me, when the game still mattered and they had a chance, he was unbelievable as it started to slip away and he started to again, see friends traded away and it all unraveled around him. Yeah. He couldn't maintain that edge and it's hard to play on that razor's edge. And I think that as long as that team is competitive, I would not bet against Henrik Lundqvist being back in that top five, top 10 goalie conversation around the league. I, I just think he's one of the guys who's consistently done it. And I think most of what you've seen over the last couple of years has been a result of the team disintegrating around him and his style 
not really working when you need to maintain that intensity and nobody else has it. Jonathan Quick has looked good to me as well in the couple of preseason games that I saw him staying on his feet a whole lot more than he ever has before. It's noticeable. And talking, and talking openly about his need to be better. He's another guy that'll be interesting to watch because, you know, again, um, we've seen him as much. I, I like his game. I think all the talk about him not being elite when you watch his skill set gets overdone. And yet the numbers say backups have outperformed him, not on an annual basis, but on a semi-consistent basis. So maybe that's just credit to the goalie coaches keeping the guys behind him fresh. Another name for me this year, everyone wants to overlook Columbus. And maybe as a team, maybe as a team, they won't be good enough to garner attention, but I would not sleep on Jonas Corposalo. I talked to goalie coaches around the league, including uh, one uh, who was in Finland, uh, works for an NHL team, was in Finland this summer working with one of his guys and happened, happened to get some time on the ice with Jonas Corposalo. And they're blown away by his skill set. He's only really had one chance to run with it. Uh, like three years ago when Bob was hurt, and he posted a 920. Since then, it's been sporadic starts. He admittedly has not handled that well. Um, but when we talk about the game evolving east to west and the need for goalies to have patience on their edges and to play a patient game and not commit, Corpusalo is like top of the league at that element in terms of not going down too early, not committing too early, lateral patience. Like He has all the tools. And I know a lot of goalie coaches who think he's going to be a number one, no problem now that Bob's gone. Interesting that you bring him up because one of the great parts about being around the rink is you run into these people and you have these random conversations. And a pro scout told me that Corposalo reminds him a lot of Mika Kiprasov when Kiprasov went from San Jose to Calgary. Same type of demeanor, same type of game, same type of... Uh, unrecognized skill set or undervalued skill set and and put them in put them in that category i don't know you would know more than me about uh about that comparison but hutch what do you think well it's funny (laughs) i know earlier when we talked about setting up this episode you you wanted some sort of off the board things and maybe some things that we wouldn't predict would happen this year and i feel like i'm sitting here uh i characterize myself as a positive person I like to look for the good in things, and yet everything Woody says was on my list of uh, things that might not happen this year if I were to go off the board. And Really? I, yeah, and I love Corpusello as a goaltender, and I agree 100% with everything Woody said, uh, but the question in mind for me is, with all the changes in Columbus, does he have the team with him that will support that success, or is too much going to be expected of him in his first well, year? Well, it's starter? also an opportunity, Hutch. If you can 100%. put a team on your back then and carry them, that's... There's 100%, but there's only so much you can do. So, Well, the, the environment's going to matter there. And that's yeah. I've coached that in all my other conversations. I don't know what he's going to have in front of him. But I'll say this. Um, the Kippersoft comparison may be apt, Darren, because he's not going to have a lot of run support. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the changes that Columbus made and everything they lost in the offseason, it was basically Bob and all the forwards. Like defensively, they still, I mean, they still have Seth Jones, who should be in Vesna, or sorry, not Vesna, should be in Norris Trophy conversation. Like, if they can play a structured game in front of them, he'll give them a chance. I don't know if they'll get the run support, but if they can maintain a structured defensive system in front of him with the personnel they have, and I don't think their defensive personnel is has taken as big a hit as, as up front, um, yeah, he could definitely be a surprise name, but Hutch is right. We talk about it all the time. Goaltending never exists in a vacuum. There's only so much you can do, and that's why as much as it might cost us our goalie union card, uh, if I had to build a team... And I could have three strong centers, 
great top four in defense or a superstar goaltender. I had a goalie coach tell me this uh, over the summer. He'll take the top four in defense and he'll build you a goalie. I also believe John Tortorella is so competitive that he will do everything in his power for Corpusello to succeed because Bobrovsky walked out the door and he'll want to... Make a point. Yeah. I I just, I believe that whether it has anything to do with it or not, but uh, for those that believe maybe Torts is hard on on players or hard on goaltenders, I think this is going to be a little bit different there, where he's going to have have all the support. Well, well on the same, well, I, 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 go, well, sorry, I was going to say on the same topic or around the same topic here. I, Kevin, I, what do you think about Bob in Florida? Because he was also on my list of guys that maybe won't uh, won't won't succeed at the level that everybody's expecting with both with the expectations and now the shift in teams. What are you thinking? Well, I just wanted to coach. quickly go back to. Yeah, I, I was going to say Quenville typically, especially in a first year, is going to have defensive attention yeah. of his team. And I think the structure will be there better. I wanted to quickly go back to last week's conversation with Ian Clark about Corpus Allo. And, and when you talk about John Tortorella and sort of that education we talked about where, you know, because of that patience he has on his edges, pucks will go through him. And so, you know, Torts needs to understand that the 10 saves he's going to make that he shouldn't make might cost him one goal that you know, typically we qualify as bad because quote unquote, nothing through you. So that'll be part of that education process there with Torts, who can be hard on his goalies in the coach's room after a game. Uh, as far as Bob goes, I think he'll have enough structure and support in front of him. I'm not sure he has enough behind him, guys. Um, we've talked about the injuries and the fact that anybody who pointed to groin injuries wasn't wasn't looking at recent history enough, hasn't had a single one in three years after being plagued by them for the three years before that. But we're past the day of workhorse goaltenders. He's capable of it, absolutely. But it's not ideal. And Sam Montembeau had a hell of a preseason, and I hope he proves me wrong. But he was one of the goalies that got stuck behind a crappy defense last year, and his numbers weren't that great. Some good performances, but for all the attention on Luongo and Reimer, he actually had the worst numbers of the three. And that's their plan B, and that's it. And I thought they might be a team that, as waivers uh, shaped up, looked for a little more insulation. Not because I don't think Sam Montebo can do the job, but I think that's a hell of a tough spot for a young kid to go in and play once every two weeks because Bob's going to run with it the rest of the time. I would have liked to seen them use the fact that he's waiver exempt for another year and continue to get him starts in the minors and and maybe having a guy with a little more NHL experience with him um, either in Florida or in that back and forth conversation. Right now, it's it's Sam Montebo and Chris Dreger. And at a time when you typically need three to get through a season, I have questions about that being enough. And if they play the as, as good and as strong and as healthy as Bob is, I mean, history tells us you can't play the wheels off a guy. Uh, it hasn't worked in Toronto with Anderson by the time you get to the playoffs. And the expectations in Florida are not just about making them. They're about going on a run. And you know, if, if, you, if you run them into the ground, it's harder to do that. National Hockey League goaltenders face pressure every night. So I'm not sure there's a massive difference between one city or one organization uh, than the other. But Carter Hart and Jordan Bennington will enter as goaltenders with a lot on their shoulders and relatively inexperienced goaltenders. Who do you think is under the more most pressure, Hutch, between those two? I think they're both under a, a lot of pressure because people have already characterized Carter Hart as the solution to a long-running problem in Philadelphia, and it's a pretty intense market, both locally and nationally. So I think he's under a ton of pressure there as already the anointed savior. 
Spinner perhaps still has a bit of that dark horse to him. So maybe there's just a little bit less there. I mean, he's going to have no less pressure he puts on himself or no less expectations he puts on himself. Uh, And I think the team probably is going to be a little bit more successful. So I I guess I have to say probably a little bit tougher uh, for Carter Hart this year, uh, although they both face that difficult sort of sophomore season. Well, you don't want to be a one-hit wonder. No, Laura Brannigan Gloria was uh, was that uh, for Laura. I mean, uh, rest in peace. Uh, looking down, she had a great uh, ride with the St. Louis Blues. But uh, Jordan Binnington, I, he's he still has to. I don't know. I, I justify think, isn't the right word, but but I think we do. But all sort of agree that both of those guys have that structure and ability in their game. Yes. That that it's not going to be a flash in the pan. Uh, but that doesn't mean that. Uh, structurally around them and and mentally as an individual that there won't be some challenges to face as well uh hey if there's one thing i worry i do not worry about it's carter hart's mental game like i think he might have more pressure just because of the city and the environment um bennington is not going to face the same same type of media scrutiny he's already won a cup carter hart's being held up as the savior for a team that hasn't had a goaltender since ron hextall and that guy is constantly reminded of it if it was anybody else i might actually worry about that but when you talk to this kid and when you spend time with his mental coach, John Stevenson, like we were able to this mm-hmm. summer, there's no doubt. Like there's not many goalies that are better equipped at that age to handle this situation. Well, I think he'll be just fine. Bennington's got that that swagger, oh, that yeah. salty uh, swagger to him uh, during his interviews and, and on the ice as, as well. I think both those stories are probably at the top of my list of things I'm looking forward to seeing this year, along with mm-hmm. uh, Corey Schneider winning the Vesna. Uh, let's slide over to our gear segment and uh, that involves Carey Price and we, I don't want to give away the whole story. Well, you did a you did a little bit of a piece on in goal Woody and there's some exposure to it and and now all of a sudden you're doing this the gear segment on a piece of equipment that's no longer being made but is flying out out the door. This is wild you what you and Cam have been able to do. Well, yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. We actually, it, it all started with the uh, Oniric review of their pants and their undergarments. And we really like their pants. Um, but the one piece that we thought was missing, not missing because no, no other pants have this anymore, was sort of that padded knee area. And just happened to check the shelves at the hockey shop and they had a lot of the Bauer padded knee sleeves. So it's like a neoprene style or like... Uh, um, like a dry fit, like fabric shirt type of knee sleeve with padding on the inside of the knee for where you land. And that was a pretty popular item. They used to make that in their pants as well. And those have been discontinued. And uh, to me, they're a great combination. Oniric has that anti-slip grip on their knee. And so if you put this sleeve over, the one thing people have talked about with these sleeves is they, they tend to slip. Well, with that anti-slip grip, we just was like, hey, this is perfect. Great combination. You can get it all at the hockey shop on thehockeyshop.com. This is awesome. And then we remembered back to the summer. Carrie, who was a guy who was one of the first guys to wear G-form knee pads, which we covered along with Tim Thomas, and it became a very popular item. Um, the hockey shop stocked it. Uh, goalies everywhere were looking for it. And then Bauer bought the rights to pour on for hockey, the material that G-form used and made their own. It's like Carrie was short on this stuff. And you guys have a whole bunch. Let's send a text message. Next thing you know, yeah, absolutely like to stock up on them because they do wear out over time, especially when you wash them. And next thing you know, Cam's getting a call. So we walked through it with Cam. This is 
You know, this is, I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is why I go to the hockey shop, Source for Sports in Surrey, BC. This is why you should go to thehockeyshop.com. It's not just because they have the latest and the greatest, and we'll be talking about the new Brian's Optic 2 in the coming weeks. That'll launch on November 1st, and of course, you'll be able to custom order it from the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com, and of course, they'll have a good selection in stock. Um, but it's more than just pads and gloves and blockers and sticks and helmets. It's all the accessories and little things that these guys go out of their way to source and stock up on understanding that, hey, maybe Bauer's not making this anymore, but we think there's going to be a demand for this from goalies. Uh, they have a whole bunch of them left over. And thanks to Cam, gracious enough, we're going to have an in-goal 20 discount on this item. So I'll throw to Cam at the Hockey Shop Source Sports. We'll walk through a few more details uh, and how you can save 20% on a set of your own. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports out here in Beautiful Surrey, British Columbia, the outskirts of Vancouver. Uh, we're in the basement with Cam Matwiv, the what we call goalie heaven down here. We're in the back room today. So in addition to all the like endless, seemingly endless supply of new gear that's out for the public to view, like it is stacked floor to ceiling back here on the shelves. There's just so it really is a little slice of goalie heaven. Today, though, we're not going to talk about big items like pads or gloves. We're going to go back to accessories. This has become a popular thing. Uh, one of the things I like about the Hockey Shop Source for Sports goalie department and the hockeyshop.com is the fact that they go out and source unique items. We've talked in the past about like batting gloves um, that have been adopted. The lizard skins was a good example, adopted by Jake Keeley of the Vancouver Canucks as a better alternative to what he was using before. He used a Rask model. Based on your guys' advice, there's a pro that switched. Um, you have lots of different items like that. We've been over many. We're going to add a new one, and this one also has an NHL tie-in. Because you just sold 12 sets of this Flexorb Protective Bauer Goalie Knee Guard to the Montreal Canadiens for one carry price. Walk me through how that came about. Yeah, there's a bit of an organic situation here. Um, I, I believe uh, we would have to give most of the credit to uh, yourself. Ingle, there, Kevin. just Ingle. Yeah, yeah we'll go with Ingle. Um, that uh, they had uh, let them know that we had uh, some of these bad boys in stock, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, I get a phone call out of the blue. It's from Montreal de Canadien. You answered that one quickly. I hope when it showed up on the I call this way. I was scrambling to go before the phone fell over. And uh, a nice fellow on the other side was looking for uh, 12 sets for our good friend, Kerry Price there. Yeah, just a little bit of synergy there. We were talking about uh, Oniric. Uh, the new undergarments that you guys brought in a couple couple weeks ago. And the one thing I felt they didn't have, and I think I got the name right this time, Oniric, um, was they didn't have padded knee protection, something we'd seen on the Bowers. And so we said, hey, these Bower Flexorb knee guards would be a perfect combination with those. Happened to notice you had a bunch in stock and a bunch left over. And from our experience with Kerry, he was in need of someone had asked us about it. So a little bit of synergy there. It all works out. We're going to make it work out for everybody else this week. We're going to talk about the product, and then we're going to give a big discount on it, the old InGoal20 product code. Um, I've been through this before. To me, this started, and Kerry was actually one of the first. We wrote the first articles about the old G-form knee pads, which is kind of like... Uh, they're more for extreme sports, um, skateboarding, things like that. That's what they original made for. We saw them in the bag of Tim Thomas, in the bag of Carey Price. He still has a set in his bag. Uh, again, advanced foams, now used by Bauer, that are designed to sort of absorb impact. Perfect for wearing under your knee guards in a sleeve like this. 
Um, from there, Bauer bought the rights to the Poron, which is the, the foam product, absorbs a lot of impact, put it in pants and knee guards of their own. Unfortunately, they no longer make them. So the fact you have like 60 sets of these left, this provides an excellent opportunity for us to offer not only your chance to get a set or in the case of Carey Price, buy 12 so you never run out, um, but a chance to get it at a discount here. Couple notes. We no, have smalls. no smalls. You sold out <laughs> no of smalls. Okay. Well, I'm 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 uh, I'm your average like just under six foot, uh, 180 pound beer leaguer, and I would wear a large. So I think a lot of it, as long as you're in your teens, you're probably okay in a medium. Yeah, uh, yeah. You'll definitely kind of cut it through there, and just kind of to point out, and also maybe you can speak about this a little bit more. This isn't a replacement for an ecap at all. No, no. Oh, God, no. Yeah, no, no. You still need to wear a knee guard, a hard plastic shelled knee protection over top of this. What I like about this is underneath it, it just provides a little bit of, you know, that impact absorption when you drop down. Uh, it can protect you if, if a puck finds a seam in your in your big knee guard, but it's more, it's more just an extra layer, prevent a little wear and tear on the knees. Like I said, I've worn it. I remember the first time we had, and this is a good story, the first time we had the the original one, the G form um, product, and we had a bunch of test sets from G form, and I took it out to the American Hockey League. And Danny Taylor, who was with the Abbotsford Heat at the time, liked it so much he decided to layer up a couple layers of them. Not only does it give you a little extra protection, but the whole concept of this foam is it's nice and soft around your knee, and when you drop it, hardens up to absorb that impact which means it also provides a little base layer to make you a little taller when you're on your knees. And uh, Mr. Taylor was fond of taking advantage of that. I'll never forget one night. Uh, I think o- Oklahoma came into town, loaded up with a bunch of like just Oilers sharpshooters. Guys are all in the NHL right now. It was like Everly and Hall that, that, that lockout season. And he got one just with a corner of his shoulder. And he gave me a wink after the game and said, see, that, that, ex- <laughs> that extra half an inch, that was the difference between that going in and staying out. So you can layer these up, and I guess with an in-goal 20 discount, I mean, these things are down from $74.99 Canadian, probably all the way down to $50, bucks, and, or $59.99 with a 20%. I'm bad at math. math. math Do the math, math. 20% off, and you could probably buy two, whether you want to stock up for the long term or you want to layer them up and make them a little taller. Um, make sure you check out thehockeyshop.com. Uh, look for the Bauer Flexor Protective Goalie Knee Guard. Like we said, these have been discontinued. They don't offer them anymore. They used to have them in the pants. I I love those pants. I still wear them. Um, my advice to those that do buy them would be if you're going to machine wash them on any type of regular basis, just make sure you turn them out inside out before you do and then hang them to dry. Uh, but my pants have lasted me a couple of years uh, and and that foam layer is just now starting to, to sort of come apart in some areas. Uh, but if you take care of them, you can get some time out of these ones. Exactly. So what better chance than right now? So a good deal from Cam down here at the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. Make sure you check it out this week. We'll have it on our social media. They'll have it on their social media. Uh, well, supplies last. Like we said, there there aren't many left of these. We just got lucky uh, in our search and happened to find that he had a bunch. And now we're going to clean you out of them, buddy. Thanks for making it easy on our listeners to save some money while we do it. Perfect. Thanks, Kevin. My favorite part of that, well, there's two. Woody throwing to himself, which he did a good job, and I didn't jump in there because you did such a good job. Uh, I learned from the best. And the the other one is math, 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 math. <laughs> Cam chiding you on the uh, on the IG20 discount, and you, you, you came dangerously close to lopping off another $10.
Yeah, I'm, I'm not so... Um, believe it or not, this is going to surprise some people given that display of math ineptitude. <laughs> I was a statistics and computer science major for three years at UBC. I just forgot it all. <laughs> that day he was hit in the head by a golf ball. Uh, Cam does a good job. Uh, we have a special um, recognition uh, time here for, for Cam Hutch. I think, I don't know if it's Cam's 18th birthday or 28th birthday, but there's something in there. I know, well, listen, goaltenders don't even have ages. We just have birth years in the hockey system. So I think Cam's a 91. And happy birthday to Cam uh, today. I think it's, well, today as we record this and release this podcast, uh, Cam Matwiff's 28th birthday. So big shout out to Cam. Well done. And he talked us through that, and it is a sleeve uh, that just slides up o- over top of your knee. And the question I have is, is why would a company or companies not all be making this? And it's just what it comes down to, I guess, Woody, is it's cost prohibitive. And because they stopped making it and it's on a clearance, our goaltenders can, can jump on a, on a great deal from thehockeyshop.com. Yeah, I'm not expecting everyone to go full carry price and order 12. Um, but I've talked about the CCM Premier Chest Protector. If they ever discontinue it, I'm going into the shop and ordering five. Um, <laughs> this might be a similar opportunity. <laughs> kind of like my... Uh, it's like my Cleveland wedges in my golf bag, Darren. Yeah. Um, when they made the old grooves illegal, I went out and bought you know one extra set of 54 and 58 degree wedges because I need all the help I can get. So... Um, it's a, it, it is a good product. It is just cost prohibitive. Uh, I think we've talked a lot about advanced foams and how far they've come. CCM with D3O in terms of that impact absorbing, proven scientific uh, types of materials. Bauer went with Poron XRD uh, from the old G-Form product that we talked about, Tim and Carrie being the first to wear. They brought that in. They're using it in their helmets. They're using a lot of different things. But it's not a cheap material to work with. You have to outsource it. So have it sewn into some of these undergarments in order to make any money off it. They would have had to charge like over the moon prices and it just became cost prohibitive. And so I know they're working on an alternative, um, but we see, it's interesting. We still do see it throughout the NHL, whether it's Henrik Lundqvist in the Bauer undershirt, uh, guys around the league, other guys, other guys, Carey Price wearing, you know, who's a, who's a di- different brand um, like this product. The G-Form alternative that we talked about in the segment there uh, that kind of started all this, the foam's just a little harder, especially going on when it's cold. What Bauer did a nice job of is kind of just, it has a real soft feel to it and it hardens on impact. So it provides that impact absorption for your knees and saves a little wear and tear, but it's a little softer going on, whereas the G-Form product is a little stiffer until it warms up around your body and then it softens up, but it just doesn't quite have that same sort of texture and feel as the Bauer product, which was built specifically for hockey. Just want to repeat what you said too about uh, if you're going to wash these pieces of gear uh, and inside how, out, how you do it. Yeah, uh, I thought that, was dry. A, that was a great tip. You can, you can dry them. I have dried mine and they've, they, like I said, they lasted a couple of years. They're just starting to come apart a little bit now. And that's like, Hey, that's four ice times a week on average in, in the season. Um, and I'm, I'm a heavy sweater, so there's, they're soaked. I wash them every time. Um, but if you want them to last a little longer, for sure, machine wash cold, uh, inside out so that the, the pour on, uh, sort of the, the padding is sort of inside out and protected a little bit, not hitting other things in the wash, especially Velcro. If you're washing the rest of your gear and just let them hang to dry. Uh, it is a breathable material, like a breathable undershirt type material. So it dries pretty quick. Can we do something on ingolmag.com? 
and take a laundry segment? No, no. I want to take the video feed because we do this over over a, a video chat, so we can all look I at each other and, and not. Can we can we get just post twenty minutes of Hutch's video, even when he's not saying anything? <laughs> your facial expressions are staggeringly uh, expressive. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm I, actually I just think you're. I'm sitting here and I haven't heard Woody give his laundry advice before and uh and I'm I'm loving every minute of it and taking notes because my G-form knee pads that we got what was it 9 10 years ago it feels like Woody uh eventually they broke down not the padding just the sleeve and I couldn't use them anymore and uh we all love tinkering with gear uh that's where a lot of us came from anyway back in the day when we had to add bubble wrap to our uh, arm arm pads as glenn hall told us uh just to survive back in the day i took my old g-form pads i took them to a seamstress in nanaimo and had them stitched to the front of the hip area on my kids uh undergarments because especially with young kids um that area of pants just isn't very well protected and if you're facing tough shots it's uh it's a vulnerable area so i retrofitted uh, my sons with the G-Form knee pads in the hip area. And I'm actually going to go shopping now with my in-goal 20 discount code and grab a couple of sets because I need a backup for that reason as much as anything. Um, but we'll be adding the G-Form back into the knee uh, area as well since we know that we're these are available now with a, with a great deal at the hockey shop. I also, okay, by the I, way, I also, by the did way... Did I hear that right? Just a that? second. You're, you're going to take the IG-20 discount. Yep. Buy the bower sleeve and and repurpose them on your son's hips. So one, I already did that with an old set. Yeah. Two, Cam, if you're listening, please put three sets aside for me under the in goal twenty code because I'm I'm going to be calling, and I'm going to have three sets: one for my knees, one for his knees, and one more for an extra set of undergarments. And by the way, those undergarments get washed in cold every single ice session. Uh, and thrown in the dryer and now i'm a little nervous because there's velcro in there too and i got to go to woody's laundry <laughs> tips to make sure these things will last well hey listen i do have an extra set of those old because you're right I, I still actually have the old g form i use them for coaching in the summer i shouldn't say coaching i use them mm-hmm. for when i'm on the ice doing video work in the yeah. summer uh i wear the old g form ones underneath just to have that you know you're dropping to your knees to sort of move uh puck eye view cameras around and it's just a nice little extra layer of protection so hutch I can probably help you out there out of the old Ingold garage and save you at least leave one extra set for our listeners. I, I, I uh, actually wear an old set of mountain bike knee pads uh, when I'm out on the ice, mostly coaching and doing photography. And uh, I would say if you like the G-Form uh, mountain bike knee pads, you should phone up the hockey shop and get these because they're at least 30 bucks cheaper than your average G-Form knee pad for mountain biking. Great savings opportunity. Well, or, goal 20 discount. And if you're just working in the yard or uh, changing the, the tires, putting the winter <laughs> tires on, uh, they, they make life uh, uh, a lot easier uh, as well there. Who mentioned over the moon, the price over the moon? Was that, uh, was that Woody potential? Because I want to go above the moon. And I'm talking stars. Adam Francilia is the trainer with Net360. And he's a big part of, of what... In Goal Radio, the podcast, and In Goal Magazine do in the summer in bringing this collection of professional goaltenders together, which opens up a great opportunity for us to bring the listeners and the readers uh, a lot of uh, first 
hand information. And Adam is a trainer, not not a goaltender, but a trainer who gets right on the ice uh, with everybody. Right, Woody? Yeah. Um, whether it's the old, uh, we'll give credit in the Mitch corn with the medicine balls, um, looking for little hiccups in the mechanics as the guys move around. He's good. He, uh, his medicine balls have the ones with a handle so they can hold it out in front. And, and it's interesting cause I'm standing in front of, I think it was the first, our July session was Comrie and rhymes and I'm standing in front with the camera and they're doing, uh, first they're basically just doing like post middle post crease movements. First standing, then down. And I can see some inefficiencies. And he's actually standing behind them, trying to look at their movements from behind. And he's seeing the same inefficiencies. He's seeing sort of, but he's seeing hiccups in the mechanics in the body that are leading to these inefficiencies. And then you watch them go to work on trying to eliminate them over the summer. And we talked to Comrie about staying off the ice so that he could focus on the physical first rather than going back on the ice and repeating old habits. Then I watch him at the end of the summer do the same drills. Again, at times with a medicine ball in their hands, at times we saw with, uh, with different elastic bands strapped to them as resistance for certain movements, at times with a beach ball, and as much as my teammates on Beer League say I can't stop <laughs> a beach ball, I think I could have stopped this one. They literally were like, like, like throwing light medicine balls and beach balls. They would push to the top of the crease, catch it from AFAN, drive down to the near side post and then throw it at another coach. Like a lot of these, a lot of very unique on ice drills, um, stuff that I hadn't seen before and stuff that by the end of the summer, you see some of those hiccups in their movement patterns disappear because they've been diagnosed and sort of worked through at the physical level. So when they get back on the ice, they've disappeared in their, in their goaltending, you know, the biomechanics of their movement and, um, the name, like you said, the list speaks for itself there. And I mean, eight NHL goalies are going to start the season in the NHL this year that, that are a friend clients, 11 on NHL contracts, uh, just the guys that I know of. And I know he's got a stable coming up behind them as well. Guys like Hellebuck, Dubnik, Reimer, uh, Comrie, Condon, Dell, Bressois, Grice, Grossnick, Keeler, uh, Eddie Lack, who's in a year off. Like there's a lot of guys that, uh, have worked with him and, and there are a lot of good trainers out there. We obviously work with Maria mountain and she's the best too. Um, but I, I just don't know many that have a stable this deep uh, playing at the NHL level. And it's a credit to a friend and a credit to his approach. And I was happy that he, there's few guys that like to talk as much as me as we've established on this podcast, but uh, me and a friend managed to nuke a whole hour here, just talking about the biomechanics. And uh, I was, I was grateful for his time and we're going to have some video to go with it up at ingolmag.com soon. It's a fascinating conversation. Uh, I call him a, a pothole filler in the, in a sense, like he could he can make a, a a bumpy ride a lot smoother in a short period of time, and he can also just lay down a smooth road of pavement to, and and make you so much better. So he he does a, a whole lot uh, there. A friend, the man they call a friend, chatting with Woody. Our feature interview on In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by Source for Sports, the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Okay, we got a special return guest here on the Ingle Radio podcast, Adam Francilia, 
Um, he was on just a little while ago. We've gotten to know him over the years from Net360 Hockey, which he co-founded with Agent Ray Petko from Alpha Hockey Agency, another group he works with. Um, I think it probably is going to say to our listeners, we haven't had a lot of, hey friend, we have not had a lot of repeat guests. Oh, wow. I'm honored with you. You know, like we're still inside <laughs> the first 40 episodes here. I think wow. you're up there on a short list with guys like Luongo. So tells our listeners just how much we think of the work you do. Um, or you're just desperate for uh, for people to come onto the podcast, right? So you really... No, no, because because <laughs> uh, all these great goalies you work with, we hit them up when when yeah, they're up here sure. in Kelowna. Sure. We're back yeah. in Kelowna yeah, to talk to you. Absolutely. Um, so you, so yeah, we we double dip because you provide us with great guests as well. But we wanted to get you back because last time the focus was a lot on um, Net three sixty. Mm-hmm. Focus was a lot on. We combined. There was a lot of talk from Ray uh, Petco about sort of the agency and when right, to get right. an agent, when to get a family advisor, and we just wanted to bring you back because mm-hmm. I know that we could probably just talk for hours about the training and the uniqueness well, you of know it. We could. So let's start with, actually, let's, I want to start by letting our listeners get to know you and how you got to this. I mean, I'll, you know, I, we can do the same introduction. I mean, the guys you work with, it's a long list. I don't have it written out in front of me, but, mm-hmm. you know, Devin Dubnik from the goaltending standpoint, James mm-hmm. Reimer, um, Connor Hellebuck, Lorraine Brassois, Eric Comrie, uh, I think that the, I know the list is probably closer to a dozen from a goalie specific side, but right. then also guys you go way back with on the player mm-hmm. side, mm-hmm. Andrew Ladd, Tyler Meyer. So this deep list of right. guys, I want to ask mm-hmm. you, how'd you get started? Like where did, where did this passion start? Mm-hmm. How did it develop? And how, when did it become and how come it became goal, a little more goalie specific, if not goalie exclusive? Right. Well, first, thanks for having me back, Kev. I really appreciate it. Um, it's always fun talking. And you and I could, and I know have uh, off uh, off mic talk for hours about goaltending. There's just so many neat rabbit trails to get uh, to get down to. But for me, I started my business um, about almost, just over almost 22 years ago now. And when I started, it was a combination of athletics and you know regular sort of health and fitness folk. And um, I enjoyed both a great deal. Um, my passion certainly. Uh, lie in the sort of the elite level athletics. And I trained a lot of different high level athletes from different sports um, and pretty successfully as well. But, you know, even within that, um, my, you know, my focus passion was certainly in hockey and uh, it's what I got the most excited about. Um, And as a, as a kid growing up, obviously, you know, you start watching hockey super young and uh, you know, I didn't realize it at the time because you just, you know, it is what you do. But I realized much later that, you know, I'm, I watched the game for whatever reason from the goaltender out. Uh, you know, I'd be sitting there with my friends watching, watching hockey and, you know, and, and a forward would come down the wing and, you know, and, and shoot and, you know, like nice shots going top cheese and your know, goaltender makes a save. And, you know, my friends would all, all react like, oh, you know, like, and I'd be like, Hey, you know, like I was looking for the, I was looking at the goaltender and I'm like, well, that's a great save, you know? And so I sort of always saw it maybe somewhat from the opposite end out. And so goaltending always intrigued me. I, I thought then, and I still think it's probably one of the coolest positions of, in any professional sport. Um, and it's so unique. And so, you know, that sort of led me to take a look and, you know, realize, and I've said this for over a decade, you know, they play a different sport they're on just on the ice at the same time as the other guys. And of course, we don't mean that by saying, you know, there should be an exclusionist type of feeling on a team. But when we look at it from a, just from a, you know, a strength conditioning, from a corrective, from, you know, uh, 
imprinting the right movement patterns and the right psychology into those movement patterns. Goaltending is a different sport. And, and so I really just became excited about that. And I wanted to pour in a lot of time and effort and energy into learning about the position. And so uh, I've been very, very fortunate over the last number of years to uh, have been able to collaborate uh, with a number of great goalie coaches. And they've been extremely generous and gracious with their time and, and, and their knowledge. And that's helped me, from my point of view, to really understand goaltending um, technically as well as what are the current concepts in goaltending. So I think that's what's helped me create a fairly unique um, approach to what I do. Okay, so within some of those concepts and as those concepts change, you're basically, as you by learning the position and learning how goalies move or how they ideally should move, you're able to build training specific to that. Can you walk us through... I think foundational structural mm-hmm, sure. principles, like what, what have those become? What are they now? And maybe how have they evolved, whether it's over the, the full scale of, you know, to almost two or over two decades or in the past three, four, five years? Well, I mean, foundationally, we can look at it from a, a couple, you know, a couple vantage points. Number one, you know, we have to look at, there's a commonality to every goaltender and that is, you know, just the human structure, the human body, how that works. And when I, when I, when I look at it, I look at it from more of a joint, you know, um, point of view rather than a musculature point of view. So in other words, you know, the feet are touching the ground. How, how, you know, how much range of motion do they have in their, in their feet, in their ankles, in their knees? You know, that's going to affect the lumbopelvic rhythm, <clears throat> which is one of the foundational principles we'll kind of get to in a sec here. Um, and, you know, and, and the what the pelvis does will absolutely influence the rest of the spine from the tailbone right up to the cervical spine. And then that's going to influence what the head does. And obviously when you look at the last three, four, five years, you know, one of the big, um, big points of emphasis has been, you know, tracking. And so, you know, seeing the puck, not with your eyes, but you, you actually track with your, you see with your eyes, you track with your head, not just your eyes, but the influence that the spine has on the or the pelvis has on the cervical spine really influences someone's effectiveness in tracking. So, you know, that's been something obviously that's been, you know, brought into the consciousness over the last number of years. When I started, that really wasn't such a main player, or maybe it wasn't to the degree that it's, you know, it's sort of the science of that has been, you know, evolving over the years. So we say, I'll give you an example um, that I think, ties right into what you're saying. Counter rotation, for mm-hmm. example. Right. I mean, we yeah. see it for years in goaltending. It was almost taught. Like, you know, the le- you want to go left and the upper body swings right mm-hmm. first. It was almost taught as a load, right. uh, a load mechanism, right. whereas now we see it as an unnecessary delay in movement to start the movement and, mm-hmm. and you're moving the wrong way, frankly. Right. right. Okay, so how do we how do you as a trainer and I I've seen the videos and we're going over some, how do right. you train the body mm-hmm. to support that so that it does all want to go in one piece and not have to swing away to the other side to grab an edge and grab that momentum. Is that a good example of that evolution? Yeah. I mean, that is one of the, you know, two or three foundational principles that I first start with when I, when I start working with a goaltender and that's of any age, you know, that could be a goaltender. That's a, 
a young, you know, a young minor hockey goaltender or junior all the way up to, you know, my, my, you know, clientele right now pretty much is, you know, pro NHL goaltenders, but it wouldn't change. Uh, And I think sometimes, you know, within reason, the sooner you can get to those foundational principles, the sooner you can program good information before you have to do a lot of fixing, you know, as they get older. But with a counter rotation, you know, like you said, for years, you know, we, if we kind of create a visual for the audience, you know, if we're, if we're down, we're on our knees, you know, um, and we're going to load our left, our left skate to be able to push to the right. Uh, far too many uh, goaltenders still, if we can visualize that, we're loading our left skate because we're going to push right dynamically and our, our upper body and, and even our hips will rotate to the left right? So we're pulling that backside shoulder back. So now we're moving our body away from the puck to get to the puck in the opposite direction. So when I see that, and, and, you know, to whatever degree I see that dysfunction pattern in a goalie, the way we're going to fix that is not going to be on the ice. It's going to be in the gym. Um, and, and so in order to do that, we have to teach what the, what those principles are. So if we're, if we're, if we're taking that example that I just said, him. We're on our knees. We're going to load that left leg. We're going to push to the right. You know, number one, we have to think of the cross-link uh, relationship between the left shoulder, which is going to be the back sh- backside shoulder in our push. So our typically is a glove hand, depending on the depending on the guy. Well, we we just ignore the. We won't, right. we won't talk we about, those talk other about guys. the guys yeah, that are yeah, normal. Yeah. yeah, and then so we have our our left shoulder is linked into our right oblique. So there's a if you think of a diagonal drawing from your left shoulder to say kind of towards your right hip, that diagonal pattern is something that we, we have to establish and strengthen and then download it with enough correct repetition in the brain so that when we get into a hockey situation, which is the last place we want someone to be thinking about it, that that has been imprinted enough times that as soon as we drop and load that left skate, the right, the left shoulder will actually drive down and into the right so we can gain angle and and not only that if you think about the when we're when we're lifting that left leg to push right it's because we have hopefully tracked the puck moving down to the right well if you think about that if you're looking at that and you pull your your left shoulder away because that that oblique shoulder connection is not turned on it actually it actually creates a whole bunch more rotation in the cervical spine to try to keep your head on it because now you're turning your head against the rest of your upper body. So it actually it actually even inhibits your ability to to track effectively. So it's really, really important. And you know, there's there's, you know, I have a number of exercises, but we were talking about one just before we started the interview that would be interesting probably for people to look at. And it's a very, very foundational exercise that, you know, allows people to actually think about it it's a it's a it's a it's a slow enough exercise that the brain has enough time to actually make that link okay now give me that exercise name it because maybe we'll, we'll we'll see if what we can do about giving an example of it to, to coincide with this this interview coming out sure it's basically just uh it's a single leg kneeling abduction and uh it's it's a it's an exercise that would exactly mimic yet on a more difficult scale so when we're in the gym, we always want to create an exercise that is more difficult than what we're getting the goaltenders to do on the ice. Because if we can adapt, if a, if a goaltender's 
brain and body can adapt to an exercise that, exercise that has a higher nervous system load than what he needs to do to play, then his, his, that, that movement when he's playing is going to be below his maximal effort, which is always what we want. We don't want to train in the gym, you know, again, whether it's, whether it's nervous system complexity or whatever it is, we don't want to train to the demand on the ice because in essence, then you're training a goalie to when he plays, that's, that represents 100% of his capacity. We don't want that. We want to go beyond that. Uh, so he's actually only, you know, playing at 75 to 80% of his neural capacity. Okay, so last interview, uh, when we had uh, Hutch, had you and Ray on, mm. um, one of the examples you gave, he asked you about Eric, because Eric right. Comrie, one of your clients, mm-hmm. who is just a rink rat, right? Like, right, love absolutely. him. Like, oh, if, if you yeah. need a kid that hockey. wants to do extra reps yeah, and step in on a drill. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, loves like, it. Loves, loves the position. And it makes it easy for us to love him, too. Oh, like, man. just one yeah, of our favorites, right? Guy. But yeah. you had to get him off the ice a little bit, because, yeah. again, it sounds like a, a good example for mm-hmm. this in terms of... Um, not that you maybe you need to fix it in the gym so it's easier once you get on the ice mm-hmm. you know, or you can't fix it on the ice mm-hmm. kind of thing. So right. fix the, the support for it. Right. So when he gets on there, it's easier. Is that, that a fair example? Well, yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes what you have to do in order for the goalie, the, the, the athlete to, to, to be able to elicit the, the structural change, you have to take away all the other components about goaltending. In essence, the puck, the shooter, because it's very difficult to unwind what we call a faulty brain engram if you're keeping the goalie in the same hockey-like environment where they're tracking a puck and having a... Because ultimately... Hard to think about that oblique firing properly exactly. when you've got all those other things to worry about out there. And even if you are trying to think that, your desire to make the save will always override you know, am I, am I connecting my backside shoulder with my near side oblique as it, as it should, because we don't want them to think. And that's my whole thing there too. Sometimes, and I've learned this over the years is sometimes I've been guilty of trying to make that on ice correction too soon. And they've tried to, then they end up thinking too much when they're in a, in a game situation or even in a, in a practice situation where the, that aspect of the practice is not the time to be trying to think about that. So, so it, you're taking them out of the very environment that created the, the dysfunction. And so I think that's been very helpful too, for them to sort of, uh, be able to quiet down their mind and focus on the, you know, the very thing we're trying to make a change on and, and really, really to, to take it from the corrective point in the gym through to the strengthening and the performance phase in the gym for some of these really complex exercises, there's quite a process before we say, okay, I think we're ready to go on the ice. And when, and when we go on the ice, you know, there's no pucks, there's no shooters, there's nobody else there except maybe another goaltender. So there's still not the, it's still not hockey yet. You know, it's kind of like we're still in the gym, but we just happen to be on the ice. Right. Okay. So let's talk about that a little bit before mm-hmm. and we'll get back to the, you know, I want to outline the other foundational structural right, principles. Right. But on the ice, when you mm-hmm. talk about being on the ice, mm-hmm. um, that is, like you said, not that you're not talking about drills with mm-hmm. 
three shooters and that's right. reverse fade here and, and right. pop to the middle and there's low high passes and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. We've seen examples of videos, um, mm-hmm. saw it again this year, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's bands, uh, holding medicine balls with handles, mm-hmm. um, even playing a little, and I've had a few goalie coaches over the years yell at goalies, as I love this this year, they, they're always yelling at goalies, we're not playing dodgeball out here. Right, right. Well, we sort of were playing dodgeball out there. You're throwing balls, balls back and yeah. forth as yeah. guys move sure. um, with the medicine balls. Mm-hmm. What... Um, Walk me through sort of some of the the thought processes and some of the keys and why you take off ice on the ice. Oh, nice. Well, I think it's, for me, it's the logical uh, transition from is the athlete able to apply what we've done in the gym to the ice uh, when it becomes, you know, closer to the very thing that he was, you know, or she was having those hiccups on. And so when we go on the ice, one of the things I, and it sounds very rudimentary, but it's really important is we make an agreement and we say, you know, I make sure the goalies agree that yes, we are in our gear. Yes, we are on the ice, but we are still in the gym in our mentality because not every single exercise I do, whether, you know, you mentioned the bands or some of the, some of the resisted or the overspeed work or, or the, you know, some of the med ball work or whatever I do, not all of that is going to be 100 precise, uh, technically correct, what we want to do, but what we're, so much like things you do in a gym aren't necessarily going to be 100%, maybe they're 80% or 90%, but the effect that we're having, the adaptation effect that we're having is what is a hundred percent necessary for us to be able to, you know, to make an improvement on, like you said, counter rotation or something like lumbopelvic rhythm, which is sort of another foundational principle. So when we go onto the ice, uh, we're able to, because, you know, there's a, there's a physiological difference between, you know, not having gear on and having gear on between, you know, loading your foot in a gym where it's a shoe and loading your foot on the ice where there's a skate, you know, there's all these micro changes that we need to sort of sort of calibrate the scope on our rifle a little bit more focused because now there's going to be some of these little intricacies that we have to allow for on the ice. The equipment in itself, if you had situations where the equipment, whether it's a, you know, a thigh rise and a pad Mm. or just, you know, uh, toe laces on too tight where the equipment Mm. actually causes a resistance or or forces a change in in what you would consider an ideal movement pattern? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I look at the, you know, the modern technology in in our skates and, and how stiff the boots are. You know, depending on the athlete, and again, you know, please understand, this is not a blanket comment, so I don't want every goaltender to go out there and undo their top eyelet, but, but... But we have seen a few do it. But, but that's, and that's something that I encourage. I mean, you, you know, some of my goalies who do yep. it, right? Now, one of the reasons for that is foundationally and structurally, it is very important that we allow a goaltender to uh, safely have as much ankle dorsiflexion and dorsiflexion is basically if you pull your toes towards your shins, that's dorsiflexion. Plantar flexion is when you push your toes away almost like in a calf press. So that creates a bit of a visual. But to be able to have the ideal amount of dorsiflexion in an ankle is going to affect all the joints above it. And so that look, you know, that changes how far a goalie's knees can get over top. That changes the angle of the femur. That changes how the pelvic tilt will positively influence um, everything above and below what we're doing. So 
So something like that, you know, when you're, when you're training in the gym and, and, and really uh, probably 80% of the training I do are, you know, my guys are barefoot. Uh, and so you, you know, your, how your foot and ankle will articulate barefoot is going to be a heck of a lot different than, uh, how it's going to articulate in a stiff, stiff boot. So sometimes, oftentimes I try to get the goalies to at least experiment with that because freeing up that little bit of ankle dorsiflexion or that ankle mobility is sometimes crucial for that goalie in particular. To, and that's where the individuality, you know, so that's the one thing we talk about foundational principles. There is an 80% commonality between, you know, all human structures, but it's that 20% individuality that we have to be really sure that we can account for and cater to, because that's, I mean, you take a look at, you know, we mentioned two goalies in the, in the previous interview, a Thomas Grice versus a Devin Dubnik. Well, there's two incredibly different body types. If you try to cookie cutter those guys into the same thing, the same way, for the same reason, then you're going to be wrong. <laughs> right. It's much like on one end of it or the other, right? Right. It's much like the whole position itself and why we love it. There's That's no right. one right way there for everyone. Not. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So, so we just kind of get kind of circling back around. So yes, when equipment is thrown onto the body, it will change some, some of the biomechanics or some of the, you know, some of the things we have to be aware of. I mean, even just some of the spacing between the pads and the, you know, with the, with the, the legs, in the gym, there's no pads on. So, you know, maybe a, a certain spacing that we've used for one of these exercises needs to be modified a little bit. So, and opportunities to, when you're on the ice, I, I no one in particular I was watching this summer. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen medicine balls be used. Saw Mitch Corn start using medicine balls, right, right. Um, which actually honestly was uh, came from Antiniemi before his Vesna finalist season telling me about using weight plates. Right. And then Mitch adapted it with medicine balls. Medicine ball. I watched you use you have like medicine balls with handles on them, so yeah. so so guys can hold on to them. Right. Uh, I think it was Reimer and Comrie out there, mm. and you're behind them watching as right. they do a basic sort of post to middle to post right. sort of triangle crease movement. Mm-hmm. Can you see deficiencies? Oh, sure. In movement and musculature when they're moving, because I was actually surprised to to see sort of inefficiencies in movement and guys that I didn't expect to have them that seem right. to get isolated mm-hmm. by those drills on the ice. Are you looking right. for that as well? Like in order to correct, you need to know where the deficiencies are or where the exactly. inefficiencies are. Yeah. A lot of, and you know, when I started doing this, a lot of people thought it was weird that I would actually get in the net, like actually in the net and, and look at the goaltender from behind as they were moving. Uh, Cause not a lot of people think about picking up deficiencies looking at the posterior aspect of a goalie. So one of the things that we are looking for there is when they're going from, uh, so say post atop a crease and then back to the other post and then returning is, uh, a, you know, a latency or a weakness in pelvic rotation. So again, let's try to draw a visual for the listeners here. If you're starting on your left post and you're going to push the top of the crease, I look at, and, and typically, I mean, we'll use this kind of as a generalization, but typically most of the goalies I've worked with over the years, you know, the right leg ha- tends to be more dominant than the left leg. Well, that just doesn't, you know, mean, you know, that leg is stronger. It also typically means that the musculature of the abdominals on that side are also stronger because they're more relied upon. So if you think about it, if a goalie's pushing from the left post to the top of the crease, oftentimes there'll be a delay in the adductor or the groin 
of the left leg. So, because that's going to be the extended leg. That's what you're pushing with. Right. And, and if that's the case, you can appreciate that that adductor and the left side oblique or the, you know, that muscle that kind of inserts into the abdominals and, and influences the hip, there's going to be a drag in the pelvis. So when the goalie gets to the top of the crease, that left side pelvis is usually not squared up. So, so he's having to catch up with the backside once he gets there. Right. Or there's also, so he gets to the top of the crease. He is, his brain is telling him that he's perfectly square, but yet his, his left side hip is behind. So it's kind of rotated away. So that left side hip gets rotated away. That also pulls the glove a little bit on a not quite true angle, right? So the brain thinks wherever, whenever it thinks it's square, that the meaty parts of the blocker and the glove are facing the puck. But if you have a five or 10 degree uh, deficiency in that rotation of that left hip, all of a sudden it also pulls the, bl- the glove back a little bit. So you're sort of fading on that side. Yeah, you're, you're, the information that the eyes are telling the brain is accurate is not, are not necessarily accurate. And we talked about that on the ice because we did that throughout the net 360 week. And I, I told the goalies, so think about it. Have you ever had a puck that you swear that the, you know, the, the, the fat part of that glove was, was staring right at, and it kind of went past you kind of in like with a thumb. And they're like, for sure. Like I had, th- I you know, and you know, goalies, they remember every goal that's ever been scored on them, most of them, right? So I think Dubik might remember every save he's made. The I, guy's incredible. I, unbelievable, these guys. Uh, but, you know, yeah. And, you know, I've had goalies that say, yeah, absolutely. I had three like that last season, you know, and it's like, well, here's, here's what it could be. You could be, again, your, your scope on your rifle could be giving you inaccurate information, not necessarily because of the scope, because of the rifle. So, you know. So those are, that's why I look at, because really the only way you can, I believe, accurately see the hips and pelvis uh, is, is from the back, just because you're not looking, you're not trying to see past the pads and everything. So, you know, a lot of those little corrections are, you know, incredibly powerful. I mean, we saw, we saw some of that. And I, you know, again, without mentioning names of players, there was two player, there were two players in, in particular last week who we had pretty monumental changes in how much quicker they got to the top of the crease and how much slower the play looked in front of them because they were there so much quicker, if that makes sense. Yep. Uh, so it's things like that, or, you know, particularly when we're talking about NHL level goaltender. Well, I mean, you talk about three saves on, I mean, what, three saves to an NHL goaltender. You start adding up the three here, three, like That's you right. get 10 saves in a year is, yeah. Yeah. That's the difference between AHL and four million a season for yeah, some guys, right? Exactly. Like we're talking about one or two percent, right? And 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 that one or two percent, you know, is is it's like mining for gold, yeah. you know, literally. Um, and that's what I love to do is I love finding those, you know, couple percentage points that that can just, like you said, take a goalie from either you know an AHL to an NHL level or a good NHL goalie to a great NHL goalie. Well, okay, so you're you're not going to name names um, yeah. on that one in particular, and then we never put you in that spot. But I am going to. You talked about being able to see through the equipment right. and sort of see some of the malfunctions. I'm going to share a quick story here. I know you won't toot your own horn, but I will never forget coming off the ice 
with Braden Holpe when he was up here a couple of years ago working and you had come by to watch the session. Right. And in his gear identified a little hiccup and in a conversation after they just sort of said, Hey, like, like I think it was a glute muscle that just didn't look like it was firing or whatever. And right. sort of asking him if he was experiencing that. I'll never forget him coming into the room and just being like, uh, how the hell did that guy see that through my equipment while I'm moving on the moving around in the crazy? Couldn't because it was the diagnosis was bang on, and it was. Um, so I said, like I said, I know you won't toot your horn, but I'll never forget Holtz coming into the locker room after, like, how the hell did he do that? How did he identify that? Right. So you've learned yeah. to sort of see through the equipment in some yeah. ways, yeah. Really, it's sort of that, and that's been that's been something that took a long, long time. Um, but yeah, I feel like you know, I'm able to sort of see through that gear because like I said before, you know, the, the gear hides a multitude of sins and, uh, and to be able to see through it to the actual body and what the body's doing and, and some of the things that we need to correct has been really, you know, has been very effective for my, for my end. But yeah, that was kind of a funny conversation. And, and, uh, and I think the key there is it goes back to what we started with, Obs- not obsessing, but having a passion for how goaltenders move, because mm-hmm. if you don't understand goaltender movement, mm-hmm then you can identify what a hiccup really even is, mm-hmm. right? For in sure. terms of an inefficiency of movement. Okay, right. so let's sure. let's circle back a little bit to mm-hmm. the foundational structural principles. You've you've said it a couple of times. Um, I'm probably going to not even say it right, but lumbo-pelvic rhythm. What Good. are we Nailed talking it. about there? I na- see, Nailed see, it. I Nailed couldn't it. get Ray's name right <laughs> when we first had him on a couple of weeks ago. I introduced that as pet cow, not pet cow, but I can get that one. Right. Um yeah. So, yeah. So we've just sort of kind of touched on the, the counter rotation principle, lumbo pelvic rhythm. Um, I was going to say very briefly, but I've never done, I've never done very briefly. This is the beauty of a podcast, <laughs> Afron. This isn't the radio. If, if we had a 12 minute segment on the radio, right. I would have cut you off gotcha. 20 gotcha. minutes ago. So no, Fair. no, no panic. We Fair. have a passionate audience All right. that wants to understand these things Perfect. and they're probably loving this right now. So, awesome. so by all means, go for it. Okay, so lumbo-pelvic rhythm is, uh, in essence, um, the degree of and type of pelvic tilt that is uh, experienced in certain, uh, you know, in certain angles of your stance, in certain loading patterns into your legs. Uh, so, again, I'm trying to create a visual here that that way people can kind of, you know, see something as we're explaining it is. Lumbo-pelvic rhythm is, um, you know, when you tilt your pelvis, so say you are in your stance and you stick your butt out, right? right. So that, that is, you know, your, your pelvic, that's an anterior pelvic tilt, okay? A posterior pelvic tilt would be if you are tucking your pelvis under, right? So, and that's what we want. We've, we've talked about pelvic tilt more yeah. and more in the goaltending world beyond just our conversation. Right. We've seen yeah. it quite a bit. It's starting to be talked about more. I know when I started, uh, neutral pelvis and yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah. People kind of looked at me sideways, but, uh, it's starting to become a little bit more in the, in the mainstream vernacular now. But so for me, looking at a goaltender, uh, now again, the foundation for a goaltender is their stance. So the foundational principles that we attach to that start in the stance. So how a goalie, how, what the type of lumbo-pelvic rhythm or the type of pelvic tilt that a goalie has in his or her stance is really going to influence what happens to that lumbo-pelvic rhythm moving off of the stance. So whether it's, you know, 
shot moves away from you, shot moves towards you, shot moves towards you and to the left. How does the pelvic tilt influence how the body is moving? So in other words, you know, one thing that I see a lot is a very hingy stance. So in other words, you know, they're, you know, you, you've got your stance, so you're on your feet. And as you get forward access, are you getting forward access by hinging straight over? So in essence, you kind of like stick your butt out and you hinge at the hips. At the hips, right. Which is sort of that chest becomes flat to the ice, like sort of like basically right. cutting at the hips. Is exactly. I think a phrase I've used yeah. in the past. Yeah, perfect, perfect way to describe it. Is that how a goaltender is changing their proximity or changing their angle onto a puck? Or are they allowing a neutral pelvis to allow them to shape in more of a, if, you, if, you're looking, if you're looking at a goaltender from the side, think about a hinge forward would create an absolutely bolt straight spine. And, and a lower back, probably like the rounded at the lower back yeah, at the bottom, yeah, like butt right. out. Yeah, exactly. Okay. A neutral pelvis will create almost a subtle C from the sacrum tailbone to the, to the neck. So ra- rounded slightly yeah. forward as opposed to straight. Yeah. Okay. And almost like that kind of ramp up the, like the, at the butt would be like your butt stuck out. So, you know, how does a goalie move and, and, and what are the downfalls of somebody who does tend to hinge forward? Because one of the things that, especially when I started working, introducing this concept years and years ago, where was that goalies would say, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm told to get big. I got to get big, you know, get the chest big and, and get forward on it. And, and I can very easily show them how in a lot of ways that hinge forward actually makes you look smaller and you, you are not nearly as far out as you think you are. Because if you think about it, they, you feel like when you're holding your spine straight, you feel like, wow, I'm leaning way out. But the thing you don't realize is because the butt is so far behind you, it's actually counterbalanced, not counterbalancing or counteracting how far out you really think you are. And I mean, obviously we got to, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could go into that's way too detailed for, for this type of thing. But bottom line is, you know, the, the, a neutral pelvis and, and, and the other part I want to make sure just because we're, you know, we're kind of creating blanket ideas here are there's also, you can go too far the other way, right? So I've, you know, talked to guys about, Hey, listen, we need to hold a neutral pelvis, blah, blah, blah. It activates the abdominal wall, takes the load off the hip flexors and the low back this and that. And some of the goalies that I've worked with have thought, well, boy, if, if a neutral pelvis is good, how about a really, really tucked pelvis? And so now you look like you're sitting in a chair. That is also equally not good. So we have to make sure we find sort of what proper is. So again, I don't want to, you know, make these comments and then, you know, I see goalies out there looking like they're sitting in a chair and then Get People it back. Saying, yeah, nah, this is this is wrong. Wrong. Is, you know? is another one of those examples of where goaltending is like golf. Like you, you, you mm-hmm. go for a lesson, and my favorite one is I'll never get in a lesson where like my my swing was too upright, so they flatten my swing a little bit mm-hmm. and just striping it, just striping it. So the right. next time I go to the range, what's 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 in my mind? I'll make right. sure you swing, flatten that out a little bit. Within two weeks, my swing, I might might have been swinging at a baseball. It was so flat, right? right. So, so you can exactly. you in everything. Mm-hmm. Golf, goaltending, all of these, you can go too far. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So, so that caveat is there for everyone. Yeah, let's just, we just got to put it out chair, there. I don't want, yeah. Neutral yeah. pelvis, not forward tilt to the point where you can't right. move. Yeah. yeah, and of course, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, you know, it's important that you have an expert set of eyes on you. But, you know, I mean, it, there's also enough awareness that someone could, you know, can start to, you know, bring this into their own training environment. So, so lumbopelvic rhythm, in essence, what it does, and I just, you know, kind of alluded to it very briefly, is by keeping a neutral pelvis, you play far more in your legs. So your glutes work, your abdominal wall works, your abdominal wall works, and you're playing more into your legs, which is what we want. We want goaltenders to play in their legs. The reverse, the, the anterior pelvic tilt, what that does is it, it jams up your hip flexors because you're really, when you hinge forward, you are hanging off your hip flexors you're hanging off your low back, your lumbar spine. And then what it does, because you're leaning so far out, a lot of goalies end up having to use their arms as balance tools as opposed to save tools. So they, their hands get pulled back to balance and now they lose right. those hands. And you become one-dimensional. I mean, the, the more you're, further you're tipping out, the further you have to pull your hands back so you don't fall on your face. So to the shooter, you appear much more one-dimensional rather than having a nice neutral pelvis with a nice C shape to your body and the hands are able to stay more in front of you and relaxed. So now you appear to the shooter much more three-dimensional, which is a much more complex target to try to find your holes in. The other thing, and this, this, this is one that I learned from Ian Clark, who, I mean, one of the, mm, I mean, to me, one yeah, of the elite sure. goaltending coaches in the National Hockey League, mm-hmm. kind of a blanket statement, but tension is bad. That's right. Tension is bad right. in goaltending, yeah. um, both physically and what it does everywhere else. Does that neutral sort of rounded spine help take some Absolutely. of that tension out? Whereas if we cut at the waist yep. and have that sort of, that, sort of almost like a U in the lower back as we bend forward. Does that create a lot of guys, guys get ready for a save. And it feels like the, you know, that like, okay, so I'm in like, I think actually, I think, I think we're both thinking of the same guy. Yeah. And the word I think he uses, I'm so horny yeah. for that puck. That's the guy like, we're just, talking ready, about. And we, yeah, yeah. So it's rhyme, sorry, but I, <laughs> I think we're okay to use this one, but that, that's what can happen. Right. Sure. And you, and you yeah. become locked in tents sure. and really that's the enemy of goaltending and right. it can be tied back yeah. to physiology. That's right. As well as mindset. Sure. Well, I think, you know, I mean, you know, goaltending in a sense, I think almost has to be seen as a martial art. Uh, and I use that, I use that analogy to my guys is, you know, you're really in essence, kind of a martial artist trying to just perfect your craft and martial arts. You're always relaxed. You know, your stance, the stances in martial arts are slow, fluid, very relaxed because that, that way you're able to be much more explosive when you're relaxed. You know, you don't see a boxer, you don't see a boxer, you know, rigidly holding his hands, you know, flexing because you're so much slower, you know. So for a goaltender, we need to create a shape that allows those, especially your extremities to be relaxed, your traps and shoulders to be relaxed your neck to be relaxed because if you're all those things are tense then so is your head and then the eyes are going to you know be delayed you're not ju- you're just not going to get that fluidity and, and Ian's you know completely right where we need we need to decrease the the resting tension in a goalie not the resting tone obviously your muscles are on i mean we don't want a guy to lock his legs and just tilt forward so he's not using that's not that's 
that's not the tension we're trying to get rid of. Oh, it'd we're, be like it just be a bowl of jello out there. That's yeah. how I play. Yeah. <laughs> not not in a good way. Not a good yeah. way. Just, yeah. just lie down and hope it hits you, right? That's right. No, we yeah. don't want that. No, it's not no, the we, extreme. The muscles yeah, have to be on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, it 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 shuts off those it it quiets down the lumbar spine. It quiets down the hip flexors. It quiets down the scapula because now when you think about it, if you're tipping out the the one of the mechanisms that's going to pull the hands back is you're going to you're going to pull your shoulder blades back. That's that's what pulls the hands back. I see so many goalies tilting forward and pulling their scapula back. And so here's what so here's what that does. That's an important point. So if you guys if you if you that are listening can think about that tilting forward, you have to pull your hands back so you don't fall on your face and you retract your scapula. So here's what happens. Number one, it takes your hands. And it doesn't just pull them back, it pulls them out on a, to a diagonal angle, to an oblique angle. So you're no longer square on the puck. So you're lo- no longer square on the puck. So that's, that's a very important thing. The other thing, just from a biomechanics point of view, is retraction of the scapula and... Pulling your shoulders sh- back. Sh- pulling your shoulders back, as well as that arching of the spine creates extension, which pulls your head away, and extension always creates counter rotation. So as you, as you extend your spine or pull your spine back into what some people would think is, you know, good posture, you're actually pulling everything away from the puck and you're much more likely to say, pull that backside shoulder away from the puck as well. So everything is being pulled away from the puck. Plus you're adding a sense of negative rigidity to your structure. You're pulling your hands back. The hands are no longer square. They're, they're pointing slightly out to a diagonal. So you're giving improper information back to the brain. And now you start fighting yourself. You start fighting against yourself. And, and, and even when we're looking at the lumbopelvic rhythm, by keeping the pelvis underneath us, we're actually able to, when we decide, because obviously we want goalies to be patient, we want them to stay on their edges, we don't want them dropping too quickly, what ends up happening too is an arched back or, you know, sticking your butt out right away starts to shut off your groin muscles, right? Because, and then you go wider. And what are we trying to do? We're trying to get goalies away from being too wide. So you don't stay on your edges as long because sticking the butt out will zip the feet apart. It also shuts the groin muscles down or it, it, it weakens them. Plus when you go and decide that you're going to drop onto your knees after being as patient as you can, the pelvis that's kind of tipped out to the back, the first thing that happens is the femoral head or the top of the femur that inserts into your pelvis actually shifts back. So when you go to drop and seal on the ice, there's a momentary flinch, if you will, where the femur goes back and then down. So now what happens there? So we're trying to be patient. We're trying to track the puck. And you're like, patient, 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 patient. Read that release. Down. Now, all of a sudden, you get caught a couple times because your brain cued that movement perfectly, but your structure, because it was shaped wrong, it, there was a delay in, in its execution to get there. So now what do you think? I was late. So now I'm late. Now I got to go early because, you know, you can't get beat five hole. Like that's, that's just not good, right? And so it's that one thousandth of a second. It's that one hundredth of a second delay in your structure. Even if your read was right, 
And then I've talked to goalies all the time. They're like, yeah, you know what? I, I started feeling vulnerable there. You know, they didn't realize what it was, but then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I, I would go early because I, I gotta make, I gotta make that save. So that's, it's all influenced by some of those structural foundations. That's why they're so incredibly powerful. Once you get a grasp on what they are and how to strengthen them outside of the, uh, you know, in the gym, off the ice, and then how to bring those back onto the ice. Okay. So I wanted, there were two, two areas I wanted to go from that one. One was to rewind it to the martial arts stuff and talk about Eldoa. Right. We can also sure. delay that. So the other option here is you, you talk about that, the, the femoral head shifting back. Right. And when you have that sort of that arch spine. And right. That, and, and a lot of this, I, I, the other sort of aside is a lot of these things were, a lot of the principles you're talking about, the head back and the shoulders back and pulled back and that, yeah. you know, the get big. Right. Like these were things that were being, and, and in some places still are right. being taught as foundational parts and biomechanically they're they're kind of the opposite of what we want so that must be a challenge when you have guys that have been taught this to turn that off but then the second part is definitely it turned does it the difference between getting to the ice and control versus sort of having that Mm. that that hip get closed off and just basically having it collapse to the ice because basically you've lost all that range of motion in the hip. So there's a bunch of different things there. Aldoa kind of ties to opening up the joints, but five-hole collapsing squat. People saw it on Instagram and they're like trying it, but you need to understand all these principles and what you're trying to accomplish with it. You don't just go out and do it because Devin Dubnik crushes it. Right. He's been working on building up the physiology to control that movement all the Mm -hmm. way down and not shut off the hips. Mm -hmm. So I've given you three different ways to go where you want to start. Well, good job, Kevin. Yeah. Really good job as the host here. Yeah. Let's go from that. Yes. That's right. Confusion by complexity. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Well, let's go with the most recent comment you made about the five hole collapse squat and then we can work our way back there and I'll try to go through them. Okay. Cause we, I, you know, I, uh, I think I posted this on Instagram, maybe in uh, net 360 Instagram, or Mm -hmm. maybe it was in goal first. Mm -hmm. And we end up with a lot of people sort of just going out and doing it. Right. Um, right. But I think you do need to understand mm-hmm. um, some of the complexities behind getting to that point. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you bring up a good point because that is something that, you know, a lot of people have seen and and they're going to go out and try it. Because it looks cool. And Doobie crushes it. Yeah. You know, uh, for a guy who's 6'6", to be able to do that and get all the way to the ground and uh, in control is pretty impressive. But what what people didn't see or haven't seen is the two years of, uh, you know, segmented planned training for him to even just be able to do that. What people have to understand is that five hole collapse squat. Yes, there's, you know, there's the, the, the neutral pelvis, which is integral to allowing the body to properly do that. But it's also a very, you know, connective tissue dominant and tendon ligament dominant. When you look at what his knees are doing, you know, most people would look at that exercise and think, you should never do that to your knees, you know, well then don't play goalie, (laughs) you know, but so it took us a long time to, you know, first we had to, and I like, and I do this with all my guys is determine what's the current, you know, tissue quality health of, of, of your joints, not just your knees, but your ankles as well and everything. So we have to make sure that tissue quality is, is good. You know, we do that through some therapeutic techniques, some pumping techniques, uh, nutritionally, obviously, you know, is a big thing that we won't get into, but that's a huge issue. Um, but it takes us a lot of time. I have a, I have something, a protocol that I've kind of come, created called, basically it's in essence kind of working off a primal movement pattern. 
uh, primal training type of philosophy. And so to be able to get the body, the connective tissue in the body to just tolerate being at deep, deep end ranges in those joints, especially on something like that internal rotation, it takes a long time because uh, tendon ligaments have a much different um, structure and blood supply and everything than musculature does. So your muscle and your tendon ligaments, you know, look quite different if you were to look at a cadaver dissection or something. So we're not going that far. Just yeah, yeah, we won't. I won't pull out the cadaver. <laughs> they tend to look. They tend to frown upon that in yeah. hotel rooms. No, I know. Yeah, told. It's, yeah. A, it's a bad deal. Tough, <laughs> tough time at checkout. But, uh, but so the time it takes to get tendon ligament adaptation versus how long you know relative to how long your muscles take to ad- adapt is it's much longer. So is recovery. So when we introduce these concepts, it's very important that we assess the, you know, I assess my guys, here's, here's the, here's your current range. And then we're going to only do this amount of volume. And then we're going to take a look at your recovery. And, and I mean, I've created a whole protocol behind that. So anyways, that something like that for, for, for Dubes to be able to do what he did on that video, it took, it took two years of, of properly planned training. But the fact that he's able to do that and, and what you alluded to before is I always look at goaltenders especially lower body wise, where how low can they get in their legs before they have to shut off? So as they're in their legs, they're, they're sealing closer to the ice, you know, the, the play's coming closer. They're, you know, internally rotating a little bit. They're kind of, their knees are getting closer to the ice. Do they have the strength to get to the entire end of their range and still be on, which I mean, which means basically their muscles are loaded, their joints are loaded, the springs are still on? Or do I see guys where, they get through about three quarters of what I'd like to see them, three quarters of the range that it should be, and then they have to drop. And so momentarily they are off. So they drop, they're off, then they have to re-engage, reload, and then move off of that. And that drop, that off, that's the hit, that's just sort of running out of room in that hip joint. Is that is that accurate or is that a oversimplification? Well, it's, uh, no, I think it would just be one aspect of it. Okay. It's, it's does the abdominal wall have enough strength to be able to support the pelvis to keep in that shape, but do the legs and, and, and more specifically do the joints in the legs. And that also, you know, involves the ankles. And I have a, you know, we, like I, I, ha, I address not just foot and, and ankle, but even toes. So we have a whole protocol that we do multiple times a week that is a toe, foot, ankle protocol to be able to get, uh, you know, again, increased dorsiflexion and allow the toes to um, extend, but also allow eversion and inversion of the ankles. And eversion of the ankles is basically when you're in your stance, as you go to drop down, how far can you roll the outside of your ankle off the ground? Okay. Because, so think about this, if a guy has jammed up ankles and he's not getting the, you know, 35% eversion in his ankles, that lack of range in one joint will will be required to be picked up in another joint. Probably in the knee first and then up the chain. Then the hips, you know, or if the knees are, if the knees are jammed up, then, you know, then the hips have to take the hips job plus the knees job. Now all of a sudden we see, you know, hip issues or we see knee issues because, you know, because of the ankle. And the one thing I tell my players is 
the where you hurt is not necessarily the why you hurt. So if a guy has a knee issue, it could very well be the fact that he has immobile ankles. Or he's put himself in a skate situation where he's immobilized them. 100%, right, exactly. So there's so many little different, you know, areas that you have to look to establish proper biomechanics. So without getting too much into that, when we look at, you know, when we look at something like we're talking about is, you know, how long can you stay in your legs? Well, a big part of that is your ankle's ability to evert. Because if you drop and you can get a good amount of range from ankle eversion, then your knees are going to have much less load through your, particularly your, your MCL, right? And now all of a sudden, everybody's doing their own job. Now, you have to get to that stage before you can start getting them to do, you know, loaded five-hole collapse squats. And, you know, a guy who, you know, we haven't talked about much here, but, you know, LB, Laurent Bressois, um, now here's a guy who has unbelievable joint range. Uh, and, and if anything, we've actually had to try to tighten that range up. But LB can do a five-hole collapse squat and with a 45-pound plate all the way to the ground without turning off, come off the ground a couple inches, go back down and back up, all with beautiful control. Please do not try this at home. Don't do it just because we're talking about it. But I think most of what LB does in the gym, nobody wants <laughs> yeah. to try at home. There, yeah. there's, there's, there's a line I've heard many times uh, at these workouts over the years. It's a family show, so I won't, I won't complete it. But right. I mean, a lot of other guys, when LB is doing reps or is being used as the demo, it's, right. it's FULB yeah. because yeah. Yeah. he's a bit of a beast in the gym. Eh? Yeah, he, he's just a very genetically uh, gifted guy who has a unique set of, you know, he has a unique structure where he's, you know, he, he's, it's very, he's very well muscled, but he also has that joint laxity that allows him to find range under control that most people just will not be able to. I mean, and that's where that individuality comes in. And, and, and with LB, you know, we are things that we've worked on to allow him to get where he is now are some somewhat counter to what I would have to work on with other guys. And and I think that the key there is getting to the, like to, to tie it all back with yeah. the five-hole collapsing squat and all the different things that go into it. The idea here is to be able to control, like LB going up and down those couple of inches, is right. to be able to control it as opposed to on our way down, hitting that point where everything just sort of gives out and right. we start dropping without right. control. And usually when you do that, there's a separation between lower body and upper body and everything sort of starts pulling away and we're exactly. not, we're no longer, whether it's technically or you want to call it tracking or whatever, we're no longer on the puck. That's correct. Yeah. Because the body's just sort of collapsed underneath us to get to the ice. Yeah. And like you said, now we have to turn it back on and get to the next stage. And those are exactly. delays. Those are the delays. That take you off the puck, whether right. it's your hands, your eyes, and then delays from there. That's right. Fair, fair. Like a, that. A sure. Simplified, yeah. again, simplified, but sort of a fair. Absolutely. So when we look at a five-hole collapsing squat on Instagram, right. it's not just a trick you go out and do, like juggling to, Absolutely to try and get better. Yeah, okay. the more you do, you don't spend hours doing it a day. It's, so it's a very, it's a very, it's a, it looks very simple in a sense, but it's also something that, you know, there's a, there's a very, very rigid protocol that I, I make sure that is implemented with any of my, any of my clients. And hey, I'll tell you something. I have my skaters do this too. Oh, really? Just an, as an FYI. Absolutely. And the benefit, because yeah. I think of it as so goaltending specifically, what, just quickly, what would be the benefit of, of you know, having guys like Andrew Ladd and Tyler Myers? And well, I mean, I, look, I take a, you know, I, I look at a guy like, say, Justin Schultz, for example, who's another one of my clients, you know, and, and, and 
being able to get Schultze to be able to work on that, uh, it, it, it's under, it's undervalued how much that strengthens your tendons and ligaments. So if you think about it, when, when, a when a skater is skating, especially someone who's such a good skater, like Schultze is, has, has a lot of those tools and offensively, especially the more internal rotation a skater can get comfortably and, and uh, think about when you say internal work. rotation, you, you're talking about hip internal knee, rotation. Knee in. Oh, well, knee, oh knee, knee, okay. Knee to rotation. I mean, yeah, in essence, same, but you know, when you think about a left-handed shot to be able to load down and in on that knee as they shoot. Right. Right. And to be able to be comfortable in that angle and strong allows a player to get over that shooting side longer and stronger and to be able to be able to load that shot you know much much better or to be elusive where you're skating towards someone and you make that fake so say you're skating towards somebody and you make a fake to the right where you drive that left knee down if you can be strong on that left knee and you can stay on you can actually head fake that guy and then pull yourself to the left and you're still you know you're still strong on that joint but that's so it's very, very important. And, and I actually think, you know, if, if people look back to, you know, Justin unfortunately suffered a really bad impact injury at uh, the beginning of last season where, you know, he, he broke his ankle. And, you know, we both talked about, I mean, and there was, I mean, there was no way that that ankle wasn't going to break if people saw what happened, right? Which, you know, it's not pretty to watch. But we both remarked how it was incredible. And if you look at it, how he did not rip his knee apart. And he said, you know what, he's your friend. I think, you know, a lot, I think a lot of it had to do with some of that primal stuff we do because his MCL and his, his knee joint had enough range, strong range that, that, that knee just, just you know, that knee did not rip apart. So it could have been worse. So it, it could have been worse. Right. I mean, so again, I, you know, I'm not saying it was hundred percent that reason, but being able to be strong in that pattern for the connective tissue to have adapted in that pattern and the musculature to be strong in that pattern certainly helped that knee not give way and just and just explode so okay we've been at this an hour but i don't want to go without talking about eldoa oh yes no that's very important because um i've seen that remember that i think was first year 2016 was the first time i think i i know you were using it in different but that was the first time we you brought somebody in the guys all did it yeah that's right um just walk me through you know to tie back to uh, you talked about martial arts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Eldo is about opening joints, right? Am, am I correct in that simplification again mm-hmm. of it? But walk me through how you, why, how you got into it, why you think it's important, and how you've adapted it to some of your movements and training patterns. Right. Well, Eldo, in essence, is just a is a technique that, um, through different, you know, postures, if you will, uh, create space in certain joints or in certain. Uh, vertebral heights or the heights in your spine, right? So, uh, you know, there's, there's certain positions for all of the lumbar segments, all of the thoracic, all of the cervical and, and, and then, you know, lats and shoulders and hips and, and, you know, and everything. So, you know, we, I combine that with also some myofascial stretching, but the Aldoa is great because what it does is the specific positions will create space in that joint. So, you know, if we look at it from the spine, say a, you know, the, the typical one of the, one of the joints in the, in the, in the spine that a lot of people, you know, suffer from is L5 S1, right? So, um, that's that, you know, the SI joints, a lot of people just have a, you know, bad, when people say, well, I got a bad low back, typically it's, 
L5 S1 or, you know, already had a, already had a disectomy that right. to, to remove one of those buggers. Right. So yeah, I can relate. So, and you know, and that's a lot of the time that's just, you know, kind of the victim because so many compressive forces will go through there. So, so there's an Aldoa for an L5 S1 that is tremendously effective. So what it does is will it will open up that joint and it will create space in the joint. It will allow fluid to come back and fill that joint up. And so you maintain proper disc height, uh, in, you know, and again, if we're talking from a spinal point of view, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll maintain proper disc height in all those joints. And what that also does is it changes the, if you will, the brain in each, in, in each one of those spinal segments, uh, because your spine is basically the, your circuit breaker for your body, right? So you go to, you know, you go in your basement and you open the, open the circuit break. It actually kind of looks like a spine, right? You have the rows with the switches on each side. Well, really in essence, the spine is your body circuit breaker. And if one of those circuits is faulty or, you know, if, if the space in that spine is diminished, then there will be either a, you know, something that manifests itself in pain or reduced function, or even just a delay in the response. Because when you, you know, typically through your eyes signal that there's a, a something that needs to be done in the body to react to it, that goes to your brain and your brain, you know, says, okay, do this. Well, it's kind of like having a bad cell signal, right? So that's, you know, that's sort of, it's like opening up that cell signal so you can have proper, proper movement, proper reaction, proper fluidity in your joints. No, that's just the spine. Aldoa addresses, like I said, you know, all the other, you know, all the other joints in the body as well. I've heard a lot of your guys talk about like, like the, they've really taken to it. I, yeah. I remember being at camp last week and, you know, yeah. a, a number of the goaltenders think uh, actually even on the golf course, Grossnick right. and Hellebuck sort of talking about how, you know, That's how important it. this has been it's to, to, been to everything they do. Yeah. I, and, you know, and, and off, you know, making sure I want to make sure giving credit where credit is due, a, a osteopath by the name of Guy Voyer is uh, a fellow who, uh, you know, um, invented, uh, Aldoa. And, uh, he has taught that to a number of great, uh, practitioners that he's, he's taught over the years and are in teaching. And one of, one of our new practitioners this year is, uh, Lisa Marie Fairley. She's from Montreal and she's one of Guy's, um, you know, students. And she's been with, you know, studying under Guy for, I think probably 13 years now. And she's, she's tremendous. And so, uh, she was, she, there's a therapeutic aspect to the osteopath technique that Guy teaches, but Aldoa is one of the practices that people can use to, you know, to be able to keep the space, to create the space in those joints. And it is, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a foundational part of, you know, what I do. And I've been very uh, fortunate to have been, um, you know, around some of those practitioners, uh, not just Lisa, but you know, others, uh, throughout the States as well that have been, uh, you know, that I've sort of collaborated on and, and who actually, you know, I bring in to work with my, with work with my players. So. And Lisa was at net 360. This she year, was, yeah. Right? With Brandy Osborne. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Yeah. And so, um, and you've incorporated into a lot of, again, just a lot of things that you do without saying, Hey, we're doing Aldoa today. Like it's yeah. just naturally incorpor incorporated into a lot of the movements and a lot of the exercises that you're doing with your goaltender. Is that fair? Well, well it's, it's, it's a, it's something that we would use typically, you know, like after a workout to be okay. able to, to create space. But I also put some of it before the workout as well, you know, very specific ones, but you know, Aldoa would be something that we would want to finish a workout with 
because it's a restoration. So we can walk away and, and, you know, because of the compressive forces, because of the, you know, really, you know, you've seen some of my workouts with my goal, with my goalies, there's a lot of weird stuff we do. Right. And so, <laughs> so quote unquote weird stuff, but so to be able to use Aldoa as a restoration for those joints, um, is really, really important for, you know, athletes to be able to walk away and already, you know, the recovery process has been started and it's a, it's a really unique concept that I've been, you know, again, so very uh, fortunate to be exposed to, you know, quite a few years ago now. It also sounds like something, you know, transition as we close here to sure. off season to in season, it sounds like something that'll be very useful oh as a tool sure. in season for sure, sure especially Absolutely. all year round, but for sure in season. Absolutely. So how, how do things change? Like, cause by the time people listen to this, yeah. we're talking, we're still in off season mode, but right. not, not with much left. No, no, we're getting um, but by the time people listen to this is probably, they're going to be into their season kids and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, I know for you in season means a lot of travel because oh, you yeah. go see your guys. And right. I don't know if people realize this, but a friend also watches all of his guys' games. Right. Again, looking mm -hmm. for some of these patterns through the equipment, through the television and, and other right. aspects. But he also travels for some of them. Not That's all right. of them, but some of them. Yeah, most and of them. cooks multiple times a year, right. pre-prepares meals for them because right. nutrition is part. So crazy busy. Yeah. Your off-season is not the only time you work. Oh, no. But from a training perspective, yeah. what shifts and what do kids... Maybe they're not doing it this to this level, but right. even the junior and minor pro, like how does the focus have to shift off season to in season? Well, I think off season, you know, um, and we sort of, we sort of talked about it with Hutch last time where, you know, the beginning of the off season is, is the, is the restoration, the correction, you know, that's really, really where we need to get the, the big wholesale correction started. And then we create those corrections through the first phase of, of, of the off season. And then, you know, as we progress, we start to strengthen those corrections and then we need to transition those corrections into ballistic, dynamic, you know, nervous system heavy movements that transition right onto the ice. So, you know, during a season, during the in season, it's really not the time to try to make any wholesale changes, right? So now we have to take what we've done and we need to make sure that we maintain those changes that we make sure that we really emphasize, you know, restoration techniques like, you know, Eldoa, like myofascial stretching, but also keep imprinting those. And if, you know, obviously talking goaltending, those goaltending specific exercises that, that still elicit a nervous system response, because like I said, at, you know, the outset, it's so important to, use exercises in the gym or as part of your dry land or whatever that still challenge, you know, your, your nervous system, whether it's different types of balance and proprioception or, you know, neuro, neuromuscular firing patterns, you have to make sure that you still include those in your season at the right times, because we obviously don't want to exhaust the nervous system and then you go out and play a game, but at the right times, you need to include those. So you don't start to see sort of a diminishment in, in you know, how, how strong and, and, and also your nervous system endurance, because as a goaltender, especially as a starter, you know, if you're playing 60 plus games a year, like guys like Dubes and Helly and those guys are playing, you have to make sure that your off season or your, sorry, your off ice, you know, protocols, keep your nervous system at a very, you know, at a high level of endurance or else you start to break down neurologically you get inefficient, your brain gets tired. And that's obviously supported with a lot of, you know, brain uh, supplements and nutrients that help. But, but those things are very, very important. You can't, you can't 
allow your nervous system to just degradate through the season or else the things that were really, really easy for you at the beginning of the season start to become more and more difficult. And, and that type of training doesn't need to have a lot of load through your body because we don't want to really overload the body in the season, right? It, you know, there's enough restoration that needs to take place from a game, especially for goaltenders because it's such a difficult position on the body. But the nervous system needs to be trained at a high level and it can do that if you give it the right dose at the right time. Wow. Like that's where, I don't want to tell you how long this has been, <laughs> but I think everybody's going to listen from start to finish, buddy. Like, is there anything I've missed? We could probably oh, go for another two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Sure. I, you're yeah. laughing at me as I say, <laughs> is there anything I missed? But is there any keys that you want to maybe hit uh, before we wrap this up specifically? Or have we kind of, we, we've kind of touched on I everything? We've, we've touched on so many things and, and talked to, you know, things in sometimes a pretty specific way. I think maybe just trying to, you know, you know, if, if someone's listened to this from the start to the finish, congratulations. <laughs> you win. <laughs> but, yeah, you win. Tell them what they won, Woody. Um, but uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of information there. And I think to even, you know, I, I always look at it like if someone can come away from, you know, something like this with even one significant change, game changer, then they've, then there, there's, there's been value in, in what we've shared. So I think, you know, take what we've, take, you know, what we've said, you know, listen to it a few times even and, and, you know, go out there and, and, you know, whether it's things like Eldoa, which you can, you know, Google, you know, and on YouTube or whatever, or even, you know, things like, you know, Woody, if you're going to post a couple of those exercises. Yeah, I was just going to, I was just going to say, there are a couple yeah. of examples here, yeah. a couple of exercises that you mentioned that I have video of that yeah. uh, hopefully we're going to, we'll quickly go over and we'll yeah. make sure guys, we time this, we'll, we'll post some of these things and hopefully uh, through our partnership with you and, and Net360, we'll start to introduce some of these things to our, our yeah, listeners sure. and readers as well. So for there'll sure. be some support yeah, for this, but, yeah. and, and give them some I think there's take you don't need the exercises to have a takeaway. Mm-hmm. I think the principle and the philosophy and how you think about the position is enough. Yeah. But we'll try and add some takeaways. Yeah, too. creating the awareness and the consciousness is what we've talked about will will elicit enough, you know, response to what we're doing anyways, I think, to be valuable. Sounds like uh we could have our first third time guest. I uh, love it. Okay. Love hey, it. hey Fran, thank absolutely. you so, no, so thank much you time. So much, thanks Kev. for taking Appreciate it. And it. Yeah. uh thanks f- for everything. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I enjoyed that a lot, and I know uh, Hutch did as well, because uh, you really get into uh, the intricacies of training a goaltender and the uh, the psychological part of it, along with the with the physical. Uh, I mentioned before the interview that he wa- isn't a goaltender. Twenty years ago, do you think Afran would have been allowed on the ice by the goaltenders, by the athletes themselves? Or would they have said, what are you doing out here? You're, you're the trainer. You're not my goalie coach. And sort of been chided or, or bullied off the ice, for, for lack of a, a better term. No, I mean, 30 years ago, guys who didn't play in the NHL were, weren't even allowed to be goalie coaches, right? right? Like there was only a couple that had managed to break that barrier, right? Like a Lair, Corn. We talked to Steph Waite, one of those guys, right? Didn't play in the NHL and, and, and is now one of the top goalie coaches. So I think those lines have changed 20 years ago, probably not. Maybe 10 years ago, probably not, Darren. Uh, and, and I think for Adam, the reason it works is because it's the athletes that, that want it, right? Uh, he's built that trust with them and... Um, they're coming to him and I know teams have come to him as well and they understand, they see things that work 
there's results that have happened as a res- as a result of this work with him and so they want to see it firsthand and so the proof kind of becomes in the pudding and that opens doors for for you to do things that you weren't maybe able to do before and for other trainers to do things that they weren't able to do before. The gym is no longer the only place where they're welcome when it comes to working with their goaltenders. And does that mean you're going to see them out there in the middle of a practice? Yeah, prob- probably not. But but the openness to having them on the ice and ha- and having the on ice, ha- having off ice training not just happen off ice, certainly those doors have opened more in the last few years. I think the sport overall is changing. I mean, it, 20 years ago, off ice training was about who can lift the most weight. And uh, maybe we're still seeing some of that at the junior hockey level. I'm not sure, but, but the emphasis on speed and mobility now at the top levels of the game uh, in the off ice training is, is something that I think facilitates uh, a guy like Adam being accepted by the goaltender uh, union. I think the other thing that, that gets him accepted is that he's not just saying, Hey guys, uh, let's pull on this band here. It's a cool exercise. I mean, I think he's got x-ray vision. He looks through the back of somebody's gear and he says that a particular muscle I haven't heard of since third year university anatomy class uh, is misfiring slightly and we need to tweak this so that we can uh, make better better use of that muscle and then the whole cascade of things that it affects. Uh, uh, he clearly knows his stuff and I think that's why he's accepted on the ice as well. I can't remember if we told the story. Okay, full disclosure, guys. I it, We recorded that with Adam in the summer, so it's a month and I can't remember if we got into it but one of my favorite ones was uh when i was up um with a consultant uh lyle mast working with uh brayden holtby uh, a few summers ago before he won the summer before they won the cup and scott murray the goalie coach there and, and adam was invited out just to watch one of the sessions uh and and to get to meet brayden and and get to know him a little bit because they didn't know each other and he saw a hiccup in brayden's movement that like hutch described uh, it was a muscle not firing that was leading to this hiccup. And so Brayden comes off the ice and Brayden's in full gear here. Like, I don't know how you see through all that gear, but he's like, Hey, like kind of notice this. And, uh, you know, I think maybe I'm guessing you're having some pain or a little bit of tightness here. Cause, and, and just so you know, it's cause this isn't firing. And like they had a little discussion and back and forth. We go into the locker room. Um, Brayden comes into the locker room and he was just kind of like, like his eyes were just wide. Like how the hell, how the hell did he know that from watching me move around the crease that this was tight and then give me something that could be the solution. And the next time on the ice, of course, he, he made sure he took care of the muscle that wasn't firing and everything's Bob's your uncle. Everything's it's Braden Holtby again. And so um, that'll get you buy in in a hurry when you have guys, Fesner trophy winners going, wow, like how did he know that just from watching? So um, that all just kind of builds and that reputation builds. And that's why, like I said, uh, a lot of people have their own trainer and there are a lot of excellent ones. But when you see a group this large working with one specific guy and a lineup to work with him, uh, it probably tells you something. Fire you're not. That's my best Yoda, because that's what I think. Uh, <laughs> that's what I think he is. He's, he's a Yoda. He can he can see things that just you just physically you can't see. And he can somehow dive through it his basically his work's done not not totally but he set the stage for these guys and now as we launch this national hockey league season we'll see uh what they can do with it and there's there's some players who are are facing real opportunities and others that are trying to uh take that next step and and will follow with great interest 
Well, that's the thing. Like his work is done and yet it's not done because he works with these guys throughout the season. That's the one thing that, you know, again, I can't remember how much we drove at home. Uh, me and a friend in a room together for an hour can wander in a lot of different directions. Um, but he works with them throughout the season. He watches every game his clients play looking for those same types of hiccups and see if they emerge in their game, if they're having any problems. He also, not for all of them, but for the guys in the in what they call the 365 program, um, that he cooks for them. His wife's a nutritionist, uh, everything organic. That's the thing about the Net360 camp. You eat very well. Um, it cleans you out pretty good because it's all very healthy. But he will actually go in and cook. So three months at a time worth of meals. I know I, I'm not sure if he's down been down yet here to Vancouver to see Tyler Myers yet, or if that's in the near future. But he will travel all over the country. He watches all his clients' games, looking for these things. He will then travel all over the country, go on little road trips, and meet up with them and make sure just cook a whole bunch of food and meal plans. So a guy like Devin Dubnik, who's now got three kids, um, He's not trying to fit his diet into what the whole family's eating because that that just wouldn't work. He's got his own little set separate meals um, that he knows are going to fuel his body to be able to continue these workouts, to be able to stay strong throughout the year. And so that's part of the program, not for every goalie, but for a lot of the goalies that uh, that work with Adam Francilia. Well, a friend's work may not be done, but ours is, at least for now, in episode 37. Uh, uh, enjoy it, the start of the season. Be- before we hop into that, I know you've got a new gig going here, Darren, so maybe you can remind everybody, but I'm just flipping through Twitter here and your new partner, Mike McKenna, reminding the world for the umpteenth time that he's not eligible to be an emergency backup and has no desire. The question is, could we see Darren Millard as an emergency backup this year in Vegas? Well, considering here's the thing. I will, uh, with with all due respect to Mike, he uh, he's looking forward to this year, and I am as well. But for a guy that played 11 games as a National Hockey League goaltender just a year ago, and to be lucky enough to sit beside him on our pregame and postgame and intermissions uh, on the Vegas Golden Knight broadcast, uh, I don't want to leave him alone up there. All right, so I think I think I'll pass on the emergency backup position in order to just keep my buddy company and make sure he gets through the year uh, on, a, on his own safely and, and successfully. That's okay, may- my goal. Maybe not game day, but we'd love to see you in there for a practice. Can we get a little okay, iPhone we'll, video we'll, of you we'll on that. the ice? And you got to beat Woody to it. I mean, this has got to well, get a little competitive too. Woody's been jonesing for it for about 10 years now and hasn't quite made it though he came it. close. I would love to do it. I, I've come close uh, in the International Hockey League and, uh, and it just got... Uh, snatched out from my from my grasp uh, i actually practiced with the las vegas thunder wow. back in the day i stopped gretzky and mcsorley in a showdown no in kidding. a shootout drill in practice yeah it was brent gretzky and uh, and chris mcsorley <laughs> uh but but hey I, I i stopped the two of them uh it sounded better the first time in a, in, a, in a shootout but uh so i've got a tie to vegas and and being a being a backup so we'll see but i am looking forward to being around the rink and 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 the backup goalie towel guys Dylan Ferguson wore it in the preseason uh, with Vegas, and so did who? Some, somebody else wore it. Malcolm Subban also wore it, I believe. Yeah. So uh, we've got uh, we've got a couple of guys wearing the the backup goalie towel with the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's, it's picking up within goal. McKenna's we're not stealing that sw- from us. We're gonna have to. We're gonna. You. It's it's fitting that the both of you, the founders of this, are in yeah. the same booth. We're gonna have to make sure we send down a few in goal logoed. Backup towels yeah. for those guys to wear. It's not this Gatorade crap. He's, we need the legit. He we actually need the real told deal. me. He said uh, one night if somebody gets uh, yanked and the backup goes in and wins the game, 
we have to come out with backup goalie towels on. I said, fine, as long as it's got in goal on it, I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with it. Uh, enjoy. You know, we'll a some. year ago at this time, Jordan Bennington wasn't in the National Hockey League, and he ended up winning the Stanley Cup and launching his uh, name into the stratosphere. So uh, is there another story like that? Or is the eventual Stanley Cup champion going to be one of the well-known names? We'll watch with great interest. Uh, on behalf of Kevin Woodley, David Hutchison, Cam at Source for Sports, The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. I'm Darren Millard from Vegas. Enjoy the hockey, everybody. <laughs>